everybody, and welcome back to I Just Want to Talk About the Bible. If this is your first time joining us, then let me just briefly introduce myself. My name is Christian Keeter, and I live in the southeast of the United States of America with my amazing, beautiful, godly wife, Lacey, and our two wonderful daughters, Felicity and Serenity. So today I'm going to be doing something that I've done in a few previous episodes, which is I'm going to share with you guys the audio from a lesson that I taught at the ministry that I'm with. Now, it goes without saying that uh, this lesson that you're about to hear was given in a slightly different context than this one. This is uh, a podcast, but the lesson you're about to hear was given in uh, a a room full of people. And so there might be a thing here or there uh, where you're like, yeah, I can obviously tell that this was originally spoken to a room full of people and not in a, in a podcast sort of setting. However, um, I still wanted to share the content with you guys here. I don't think that um, those moments will really distract from the main point. And one other thing I want to say before we jump right in is that for those of you who have heard episode two of this podcast, you're going to notice some similarities between that content and this content. And I just want to reiterate something that I think that I've previously said on the podcast, which is something that a person who's in a mentorship role in my life has taught me. It's uh, He said that a lot of times it's not so much about learning new material, but deepening what we already know. It's for new layers to be added to it. It's for it to unfold for us in a new way, and for us to see uh, new applications of that same information in our own life. And you've experienced this. Each one of us has experienced this. This is when we've been reading through the Bible, and we come across a passage of Scripture, and um, it's a Scripture that we already know, a Scripture that we've already tried to apply to our lives, but we're in a new set of circumstances, and the Holy Spirit will take that Scripture and show us how it applies to the circumstances that we're in. It'll come with a, a freshness, and, uh, and, and the Lord will speak to us through that passage of Scripture, give us wisdom through that passage of Scripture, guide us through it. And so, this is an example of that in my own life. And so, think of this kind of as a deepening of episode two of this podcast, where I was put in a position to be able to apply the content that I talked about previously in a new way. And I hope the same will be true for you. So, um, without further introduction, let me go ahead and transition into that content. And as always, I'll pop back in at the end and just close this out. Before we begin, before we get into the word, uh, let's, let's open with a word of prayer, okay? Let's pray. Father, like the psalmist prayed, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. I think about, God, the lyrics to the old hymn that says, all is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down. And Lord, that's true. Without your power, the best thing that we're about to have is a nice little chat. But with your power, we're about to experience life change. And so, Father, I pray that you take your word. I pray that you empower, just as it says it is, as living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, and that you pierce us to the core in a wholesome sort of way, Lord, but that you speak to each and every one of us in here. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let me tell you guys a, a little story. So gather around, little ones, and I'll tell you a tale. Uh, so... I wish I had like a stool up here because would, this would be perfect for this right now. So uh, this past Thursday, uh, as in the day before yesterday, was not the best day of my life. 
I, uh, well, I'll just tell you the, the whole story. So as, as many of you guys know, we're, we're gathering stuff for end-of-year newsletters. We're, we've been compiling things all year long to begin to send out updates for the ministry. We do this at the end of every single year. Um, and it's, it's a year-long process. You, know, you just kind of gather things here and there, and you set them aside. So I uh, was downloading an app on my Mac on my computer um, on Thursday, and like the rest of the world, I couldn't remember my password. Just a <laughs> universal experience. And so I go through the process of resetting my password, and unfortunately, and you'll realize how unfortunate this is, as soon as I reset it, I found where I'd written it down, and so I didn't even need to change it in the first place. And so, but that's how, that's how life goes sometimes. So I go through the process of resetting it, and I'll say at the outset, some, I mean, some, not all of us are super computer savvy. I'm not super computer savvy. So even if you're not fully tracking with what I'm saying, just bear with me and you'll, you'll get the point. So my phone is synced to my laptop so that I can send text messages via my laptop because it's way faster to type on a computer than on a phone. So it got disconnected. And so I was trying to resync some things. Yes, ma'am. Talk slower. I do. <coughs> Apparently I talk too fast. Um, so, um, <laughs> as I was saying, now see, if we do this, we're going to be here all day, but okay. So, but, but the point is this. So then I, 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 you know, you have your iCloud account and all this stuff. Again, if you're not tracking, it's fine. Just, just bear with me. So I sign out of that and sign back in, just kind of reset everything. And then there was this fateful button that popped up asking if I wanted to sync my, my computer with my iCloud. And I think the, the, the sync now button was probably highlighted in blue, so I was already being like, they're like, this is the smart decision. <laughs> yeah, Apple's like, this is the button you want to push. It's, it's blue, not just gray. And so I, I'm like, well, okay, yeah, whatever. I'm going to push this button. Now, I have uh, never upgraded my iCloud storage. iCloud is basically where they store your information I don't know how it works. Okay, so I'm not going to try to explain it because I'm just going to sound stupid in front of everybody. But the point is this. The point is this. I never updated it, and so it's been full forever. And so I push the button sync now. So let me go ahead and acknowledge. We're, everybody in this room is in one of three categories when I reach this part of the story right now. One, the first category is, Christian, you idiot. <laughs> you idiot. Like, why would you push that button? The second category is the one that I would have been in, which would have been like, okay, cool, what happened next? Well, what happened next? And the third category is, I have no idea what you're talking about. So those are the three categories that we're in right now. So just let me explain this as simply as I can here. I push that button, and so after I push that button, I go to my desktop, you know, where I got all sorts of, where I have something stored, and the desktop is completely blank. And I'm like, that's exactly what I said. I said, uh-oh. And so then I open up, you know, Finder, and I, I'm looking, I'm like, I have a folder called Christian, because that's my name, surprise, <laughs> and underneath this, I have tons of, like, like, personal and work files, and this is getting real awkward, because we've got board members in here, okay, <laughs> so for the ministry, but so it's like, all this stuff, and it's just gone, just gone, and so I'm sitting there, I'm feeling the cortisol begin to surge through my body, <laughs> and I'm like, well... I'm going to call somebody right now. And so I call the guy who helps us with our, um, 
with our website, and he uh, and he was able to direct me as how to go and pull stuff out of iCloud. And there it is. There's my folder. I'm like, oh, praise the Lord. So I pull it out of iCloud. It re-downloads onto my desktop. And then he told me, once it's on here, do this, that, the other, and unsync this so this doesn't happen again. However, um, I began looking through this folder, and a lot of files were absent. A lot. Um, and it wasn't the old files, it was the more recent files. And a lot of the more recent files were partially absent. Like um, something would only be up through like mid-October. So um, I'm like, oh no. Because then my, my hypothesis was it saved as much as it could. When it was full, started with the older, went to the newer. When it was full, it just didn't save anything else and that stuff was permanently deleted. So I'm like, okay. Um, first thing, uh, I went and got this. Who knows what this is? Taylor, you know what this is? What's this? Yes, exactly. This is going to be an external hard drive. This is a glorified flash drive. And so I'm going to start saving stuff on here. Mm -hmm. um, why didn't you do it beforehand, Christian? That's not helpful. Um, <laughs> so thank you. Uh, so I did that. Then I went to Computer Warriors, and they said, mm, that's, uh, that's, a, that's an issue with iCloud, and we, we can't mess with that, so you need to go to Simply Mac. And I'm like, okay, so let's go over to Mayfair. Go into Mayfair, walk into Simply Mac, you automatically feel about 10 times more hip walking into the Mac stores, and, you, and so I'm like, well. So I wait for the guy to talk to me, I explain the situation, I explain my concern, and he confirms my concern and says, yes, those files are permanently gone. And so we're talking about dozens upon dozens of hours, if not more than that. Like, I, I don't want to exaggerate by saying hundreds, but I don't actually know the extent of the damage yet. And, um, you know, I, uh, because like I said, some files are just downright, outright gone. And um, some are uh, partially deleted. And so it's kind of hard to tell where all this happens. And so personal and work stuff. So... I uh, was like, okay, walk out of the Mac store. It starts to rain. I'm like, well, at least it's thematically consistent, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, get home, call Thad, explain the situation. He calls me back a few, more, few minutes later and says, hey, are you cooled off now? I'm like, no. No, I'm, no, I'm not cooled off. And he says, well, uh, you, you might also need to teach tomorrow, starting because this was on Thursday. And I'm like, man, I don't want to teach. <laughs> Like, I don't want to do that. And so, because let me be transparent with you. Like, talking about this is like my favorite thing to do. Like, I love it when somebody's like, what does the Bible say about blank? Or why does, blank? you know, just asking biblical questions, sitting down, answering those questions, talking things out, learning about the languages, all of that. My idea of a good time. It's nerdy and I'm not ashamed about it at all. And so, but I love that and I love this. But being honest, Getting stuff out of my head onto paper and in a way that makes sense and isn't just rambly whenever I'm talking to people is something that's been difficult for me and it's been a stressor. And so I'm like, okay, all these files are gone. Um, I'm teaching tomorrow and I have less than 24 hours notice, which uh, tomorrow being because we meet on Friday mornings as well. And, um, and, and that's nobody's fault. I, you know, Thad's sick, he's losing his voice. And, and there was just, and there was kind of other things going on as well. And I was just, um, I was not uh, happy. Uh, in, in fact, I was quite the opposite. And, um, uh, well, I don't know if I'd say mourning. I would say furious would probably be a, a, a more accurate term if I'm being honest with you all. Um, 
and it was also just like some shock. So by the end of the day, splitting headache, chest is hurting, exhausted, just like, just because it's cortisol. This is what happens when you, you know, your body is flooded with cortisol, it's flooded with um, stress hormone. And so I just go through this, and uh, um, the fact of the matter is this. If we're going to say that we believe this book, then I'm not going to blame God for my circumstances. But the equal and opposite error would be to remove him as I process through this entirely. Because here's the thing. This could have happened at any point. Again, I lost 90 plus percent of the photos I've been saving all year for the end of year newsletters. And so I'm going to have to go, yeah, like, listen, I could keep talking, but so I don't need to go digging through WhatsApp history. So like, we're talking hours, you know, hours of doing work that I've already done. And... And so, but the Bible, if we believe this, then the Lord, ha- the Lord's doing something. Because we have verses that say things like, count it all joy. My beloved brothers, why? What? When you meet trials of various kinds. Wraps his arms around all trials, various trials. We have verses like Romans 8, 28. All things, right, work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so, um, wasn't a helpful thought in the moment. Um, just, I think, made me probably angrier in the moment. Um, but the point is, um, we're generally concerned with what is happening around us, while the Lord may very well be doing something within us. And um, that's what happened to me. I was very focused with what was going on around me, happening to me, and less concerned about what the Lord was trying to do in me. Go ahead and open to James 1. Not surprisingly, we're going to be looking at verses 2 through 4. Before we get into this, though, I want to just um, say this... um, this book is true. This book is true, right? We believe this. It says in Psalm 119, it says, the sum of your words is truth. Jesus said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Paul said, all scripture is God-breathed. And those all-inclusive terms would really make us really, really diligent to be students of this whole thing. Because listen, you can take any part of this in isolation and create very unbiblical theologies. If you take certain scriptures or highlight certain things at the expense of the rest of the Bible, then you can build entire systems of thought and theology that are actually contrary to large portions of the Bible. And so I see that to say we need to be good students. And so one thing that I want to say today is we're talking about James 1, 2 through 4, which is one of the hallmark suffering passages. It just is. I mean, I'll read it. We'll, come, we'll, we'll hear this a lot. But it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We have other passages like um, Psalm 119.67, which says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Or a few more verses down in that same psalm in verse 71, it says, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. And so the Bible has plenty of these passages that talks about how, um, what to use the word there, affliction, or to use James' term, um, trials, are used by the Lord to develop us, 
to sanctify us, to make us look more like him. Um, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18 says, now, where the, um, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, which that's a reference to something earlier in the passage, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so we understand that the Lord is transforming us systematically. It says from one degree of glory to another, into what? Into the same image. And we know that this process is painful. But if we only emphasize the fact that there's pain and affliction, then we get a distorted theology. Because the Bible also says, and these are just verses chosen at random. And so let me put these into two categories. There's the suffering category and the blessing category. And if you emphasize one at the expense of the other, you're going to get an unbalanced theology. If someone only emphasizes blessing and ignores suffering, that's an issue. If someone only emphasizes suffering and ignores blessing, that's an issue because the Bible places a large emphasis on both. And I'll explain why that is in just a minute. Proverbs 10.22, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. Proverbs 22.4, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Psalm 84.11, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Matthew 7.11, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And so, I'm, again, if we take just one of these perspectives, just the blessing or the suffering, and ignore the other, then we get something that's actually kind of off. And so as we're going into this conversation about suffering, I want to keep it balanced. And be like, the Bible also says this over here. And the way that these things work together is to remember that God is our Father. If he's our Father, he knows what's best for us. And we have passages like Hebrews 12 that talk about how the discipline of the Lord is a means by which he grows us up. But we also have passages like this. that talk about how he takes care of us. And he blesses us, and he cares for us. Psalm 103 says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. We need to keep this balanced. Because if we only talk about the suffering aspect of it, it makes the Lord seem like a distant disciplinarian who is only concerned with your character but doesn't care a lick about how you feel. And that is not biblical. So, let's keep this balanced, Okay? The Lord is close, like it says, an ever-present help in times of trouble. So having said that, let's return back to this passage, James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when, not if, when you meet trials of various kinds. Let's work through this systematically. There are only two things we're commanded to do in these three verses. One is active and one is passive. The very first one here is active. Count it all joy. We are commanded to count it all joy. Now, how on earth can we count it all joy? Well, let's, let's, just, let's, let's make an obvious statement. If James had to command us here to count it all joy, that means it doesn't come naturally. You don't command people to do something that comes naturally. Like if I'm at a birthday, somebody doesn't be like, Christian, you need to go eat that cake. Be like, okay. No, I, I need the opposite. It's like, Christian, you don't need to go eat that cake. <laughs> like, that's, that's, that's more what I really need. But, you know, we're, we, we don't have to be commanded for things that come naturally or things that we already want to do. And so the fact that we're commanded to do this shows that there's something we must be intentional about and it's never where we will naturally come. But how do we count it all joy? Because trials hurt. 
How on earth do we do it? It doesn't even say just tolerate it and like grit your teeth. It's the opposite. Count it all joy. And so the only way that we can count it all joy is by understanding, knowing, believing, and seeing what the rest of these verses say. This is a James has put these verses together in a very, very helpful way where he'll everything is explained in these verses. It's like count it all joy. Well, how? Well, I'm about to tell you that. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Again, not if, but when. And various, I love that word various, because that means whenever I'm going through something, it fits in this category. It does. And it doesn't say, except for the ones that are self-inflicted, you just, that's your own fault. No, it's just, no, it says just various kinds, because if we do believe that God will work all things together for the good of those who love him, that means even the silly decisions that we make, in some way, shape, or form, he can redeem them. Doesn't mean that it was right, doesn't justify any behavior, but it does mean that nothing is wasted. That's important. So various kinds, including when you accidentally delete hours worth of work. <laughs> Praise God. Um, he says, for, the, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. This word testing is really interesting, and we'll, we'll come back to it a little bit in a minute. But... Um, the word testing is uh, dokimion, and I'm not just being like, ooh, look at me, I'm speaking Greek. No, it's like there's, there are times where it's like actually knowing a little bit some of the nuances of the Greek terms can really, really help. Sometimes it's almost like a one-to-one ratio. It's like this means this in the Greek, it means this in the English. But here, there's some stuff that's kind of um, not overtly obvious that's really, really helpful. The word dokimion is related to the word dokimazo. Dokimion is the noun, the testing of your faith. Dokimazo is the verb, like it was tested, like, you know. So let me use, just to keep us, you know, on the planet Earth here, let me, uh, let me, let me share with you a passage where both the noun, dokimion, and the verb, dokimazo, are used. Another place. First Peter 1, 6 or 7, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So in this passage, you're going to have both dokimion and dokimazo used. But why, why, why all this? What is, what is the point of me saying all this? Peter makes a very striking comparison that helps us to understand what is behind these Greek words a little bit more. He says... You've been grieved by various trials, there's our various again, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, and then he makes a comparison. Then he goes on to say, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. And then he goes on. This word is used to describe the purification of metals. Dokimion, dokimazo, this is talking about the purification of metals. Uh, another really important passage to reflect this is, um, and this is going to get real nerdy, and I'm not sorry about it at all. Um, so what is the Greek translation of the Old Testament called for my nerds? Septuagint. Excellent. I'm really encouraged by how many. This is fantastic. Man, you guys are great. Um, so Septuagint. Who knows the origin of the Septuagint? Yeah, so what happened is Septuagint, the original Old Testament was written primarily in Hebrew with a little bit of Aramaic. However, um, and Aramaic is like a, a relative language to Hebrew. However, there is a very ancient translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. The Septuagint was written before the New Testament was even written. 
It's because Alexander the Great, this takes place between the Old and New Testaments, Alexander the Great, the Greek, conquered the world, spread Greek culture, which is called Hellenism, and then Greek became such a common language, that, and, and then he died very, very young. But then the, the Greek culture continued to permeate. And so there was, by necessity, it's like this is becoming the common language, and so they translated the Hebrew scriptures into Greek, which was very much the common language of the day. What does this mean for us? This is incredible for us because this means that we have an even wider pool to understand how Greek words are used. So it's like, okay, wow, we have this huge body. So it's like we can actually understand more the meaning of a Greek word because we have so many more places to compare it. I know, nerdy. So why do I say all that? In the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that same word, um, uh, dokimadso, is used in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 17, verse 3, which says, The crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold, and the Lord tests hearts. And so here, the comparison could not be more overt. The crucible is for silver, the furnace is for gold, the Lord tests hearts. And so we have this overt connection here of, in a similar way that metals are tested, purified, so the Lord does with our hearts. The word tested carries the idea of testing the genuineness of something. Um, it, uh, it, I, the, and, and in that sense, we, the English word tested kind of makes a lot more sense. And so sticking with just kind of the illustration of gold, it's like um, we know, I mean, I don't know how many blacksmiths we have in the room here. I don't know if there's anybody who are experts in metallurgy. Um, I'm not. But we have, let's use gold for example. We have a system of measuring the purification of gold. It's called carrots. Carrots. And so the higher the carrot, the more pure the gold is. For example, I believe that 10 carat gold is an alloy. It's a mixture. It's 50% gold and 50% other metals. I believe that 18 carat gold is like 75% gold and then 25% other metals. And then 24 karat gold is about as close as you can get to it being actually pure. But from the outside looking in, you can't really necessarily tell the purity of a metal. You can't. What reveals it? Fire. Heat. Heat. Because what happens when you heat up a metal? Yeah. It, it melts it down, and the impurities rise to the surface. The heat does not cause any impurity to be present. It can only reveal it only reveals what was already there. Now, we comfort ourselves by making, by, by telling ourselves the very easily, easy to believe lie that our circumstances caused our behavior. We can be influenced by our circumstances, we can be influenced by other people, but circumstances only reveal. They do not create. And we know this because two people can go through the exact same scenario and respond completely differently. If circumstances cause something, then those people should respond identically. But they did not. So negative circumstances reveal. In fact, I am... Um, in one thing I'm kind of doing in my journal right now is I, I haven't had a chance to sit down and dedicate too much time to this yet. One thing I started to think through yesterday was what came to the surface through all this? 
Like when I was not doing well on Thursday, when I lost all these files and I just, like I said, it's just a combination of things going on. What came to the surface? Because these circumstances did not make it happen. They just manifested it. Now, whenever somebody is purifying metal, why do they bring something to the surface? To get rid of it, to purify it, to scrape it off. Now, we do our best to remove ourselves from circumstances where these impurities are shown, but the Lord will lead us into these things where they rise to the surface. But listen, the blacksmith already knows that there are impurities present, otherwise he wouldn't have put it in the fire in the first place. It's not catching him off guard, and so his goal is to scrape it off. And a guy yesterday actually sitting at this table made the really good observation. He says, also, when gold is heated, metal is heated, it can be reshaped. And I thought, that's a really good point. And I said, I'm going to say that tomorrow. (laughs) 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 And so, um, so we have this picture of gold. Let me read you this quote. J. Vernon McGee. When God tests us today... He puts us into the furnace. He doesn't do that to destroy us or to hurt us or harm us, but he wants pure gold, and that is the way he will get it. Friend, that is what develops Christian character. At the time of testing, the dross is drawn off and the precious gold appears. That is God's method. That is God's school. We don't hear that teaching very much in our day. Rather, we are, uh, we are being taught to become sufficient within ourselves. Oh, my friend, you and I are not adequate. We are not sufficient, and we never will be. We simply come to God as sinners, and he saves us by his grace through the blood of Christ. Then he wants to live his life through us. He tries to teach us this through our trials. He is drawing us closer to him. Um, If we believe this, then we will realize, we will begin to see trials as our allies. Not that we are, like, enjoying the pain, Not that the scenario itself is actually a good thing. And this is an important distinction. I'm not saying whatever the source of the trial is necessarily a good thing, because there's a lot of evil. But we will start to see trials through the paradigm of purification. You'd be like, in the hand of the Lord, this is is my friend. This is my friend. And uh, one important thing to remember, and then I'm going to continue moving through James... Scriptures make it clear in places like 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that God will not let us be tempted beyond our ability. He will, um, it says he is faithful, right? And so even with trials, he will not let it be too much. It might feel like too much, but he's faithful. He's faithful. He will not let us be tempted beyond our ability. Very important to remember. Um, So let's just move on to the passage. Um, We'll come back to actually the Dokimion at the end, but moving on. It says, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And so, um, I mean, this, this is a revealer of the genuineness of our faith. So, for example, we all talk a big game when things are going great, but, but where is our faith when things fall apart? And I'm not talking about apostatizing. I'm not talking necessarily about being like, forget everything and just like walking away from the church. I'm talking more, it's just like our posture towards the Lord. It's like we talk about his goodness when times are good. Are we able to do this as well when things are not going the way that we want? Do we still believe that he loves us? Do we still believe that his heart for us is good? Do we still believe that he is a compassionate father who pretty literally moved heaven and earth to have us? So, testing our faith produces steadfastness. Steadfastness is a cool word. It's a compound word. It's the Greek word hupomeno. We have the prefix hypo, not hyper, but hypo in English. And what does hypo mean? I almost just gave it away. Less. Yeah, hypoglycemia, hypothermia. 
for example, or some places where you see this, it means less. And so in Greek, it means under. Hupo means under. The other word is minnow, minnow, compound word. One of the most famous places where we see the word minnow is in John 15. Abide in me and I in you. Minnow in me and I minnow in you. It means to abide or to remain. So minnow means to remain under. And that's a picture of steadfastness, isn't it? Imagine an extremely heavy burden placed on your shoulders and you're remaining underneath it. You're not being crushed. Yes, it's heavy. Yes, your knees are bent. Yes, it's hard to take steps forward, but you're not flat on the ground. You're remaining underneath this. You're bearing it. It's, a, it's an image for what steadfastness means. Steadfastness is the backbone of self-control. If we don't have steadfastness, then we can't be self-controlled because how we behave is going to be connected to our circumstances. Steadfastness is the ability to be consistent regardless of what's happening around us. So let's keep this rooted here. The testing of your faith produces this. This is one of the ways that we can count it all joy because we realize that this thing that I'm going through is a tool in the hand of the Lord to teach me how to hoop a minnow, to teach me how to, is to develop steadfastness. We would much rather him insulate us from the pain, but he wants something better for us. He wants us to be able to be constant with or without the pain. We want the circumstances to line up for us. He wants us to have self-control when things are good and when things are bad, which is actually superior, if you think about it, which is totally superior to things going your way all the time. Why? Because it's just like, hey, I'm able to be constant regardless of my circumstances. Kind of like in Psalm 1 where it talks about the guy who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. It says he's a tree planted by streams of water. If you're planted by streams of water, you're not dependent upon the rain. You have access to the water. And so whether or not it rains, whether or not the weather is how the tree would necessarily like it, doesn't matter because it has access to an infinite source. That's the picture. So um, testing your faith produces steadfastness, and then it goes on. Again, James is writing a progression here. And let steadfastness have its full effect. So... Count it all joy. How? Why? Because the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Well, great. Well, what does steadfastness do? Steadfastness, its full effect is that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And they even love this. He, he describes what it means to be perfect and complete with those last three words, lacking in nothing. Like, this is low-hanging fruit, guys. Like, we, we, you know, familiarity, unfortunately, breeds contempt. And so the more familiar we are with a passage, oftentimes the less we think about it. The more we quote it, the less we think about it, which is just backwards. But if you actually think through this, it's pretty straightforward. And so perfect and complete. Um, perfect is the word teleos. Um, what is another way, and you guys know this from Thad's teaching, he's talked about this in the past, what's another way that teleos, um, perfect, what does it mean? What else can it mean? Complete, whole, mature. Yeah, mature. Um, Teleos has the idea of being brought to an intended end. Yeah, it's like, okay, this is the intended end of this thing. When it's teleos, it has been brought to this thing. And so you see, it captures the idea of perfection. It also captures the idea of maturity, right? And so, and then perfect and complete. Complete, not missing anything, not lacking anything. In fact, there's quite a bit of overlap between these words, perfect and complete, as you could probably already see. But it's just whole. This is what trials are intended to do, lacking in nothing. So I said there are two responsibilities that we have. The first one is to actively count it all joy. The second one is passive. 
Um, it says, and let steadfastness have its full effect. It's kind of like in Ephesians 5.18, where Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. It's a command, but it's in the passive voice. He doesn't say, fill yourself with the Spirit. It says, be filled with the Spirit. Put yourself in a position to allow yourself to be filled with the Spirit. Don't resist being filled with the Spirit, being controlled by the Spirit. Similar thing here. Let steadfastness have its full effect. This is the effect that steadfastness will have if we don't ruin it by interfering with it. And so what do we, how do we let steadfastness have its full effect? We have to take our eyes off of the physical and put it onto the spiritual. We have to have the right perspective. We have to realize that our circumstances may not change, but I am changing. The Lord is changing me. He's making me more whole. He's cutting away the parts that are not good. He's making me look more like his son. And I will praise him for this before all is said and done. It's just awful in the moment. But what's awful in the moment becomes a source of praise later sometimes. Lord, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. I don't want to go through it again, but thank you for what you did through it. I'm not necessarily thanking you for this out of the other specific nuance because something awful happened. I'm not asking for that, but I'm just thanking, thank you, Lord, that you used it and that it wasn't wasted. Let steadfastness have its full effect. Because here's the truth. We can't be trusted until we've been tested. How can we be trusted? If we haven't gone through circumstances that have developed steadfastness in us, how can we be trusted with any real responsibility? Because that just means when circumstances go awry, we're just going to fall off the wagon. Right? This steadfastness puts us in a position to be more used of God because rain or shine, we're showing up. If I'm battling, struggling, there's still work to do. And I mean, this has historically been an area where I've needed to grow because when I've been struggling emotionally, it's like I can become oblivious to a lot of other things that are going on around me. And so if nobody else, I'm preaching this to myself. But I want to welcome you into um, something that I, like I said, I've been doing. I've been asking myself, what is being revealed? Whenever I go through anything, what is coming to the surface? Because that's what wants to be, that's what the Lord is scraping off. And the Lord does this systematically. He doesn't do it all at once. He's not moving you from 10 carats to 24 carats in one day. That would, that would be too much. But it's like, okay, let's move from 10 to 14, 14 to 18, 18 to 20. You know, things like this. Just little by little being purified more and more. And we realize that this will never be fully completed in this side of heaven, of course. Nobody's arguing for sinless perfection. However, there should be growth. There should be more and more. In fact, it's an evidence of being truly born again. Um, Solomon gives us some really uh, short, pointed wisdom that I remembered on Thursday um, from Psalm, I'm sorry, Proverbs 24.10. It's a punch right to the throat, but it's a good punch to the throat. It, uh, he, says, he says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. That's it. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Proverbs 24.10, to which I say, my strength is small. But we see this is, you know, he's moving us forward. He's bringing us to the place where we're not going to faint in the day of adversity. And, and you know this. If you were to think about stuff that you went through recently and then, you know, rewind five or ten years, you could say, you know, that would have crushed me. That would have ruined me. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't fun this time. But we made it through. 
So we can even see this in our own life. Also, um, he says, if you faint in the day of adversity, I, obviously I'm not suggesting that Solomon had a 24-hour day in mind here. I, obviously day is used very figuratively to imply time or season. If you faint in, it's kind of like um, in Ephesians 6 where Paul talks about being able to withstand in the evil day. It's just like, you know, you just grit your teeth for 24 hours. Oh, it's over. Okay, fine. It's like, it's, that's not how it works. However, I do like the inclusion of the word day because even if it's not a clear-cut specific time, it still implies a limited time, doesn't it? If you think in the day of adversity. It's kind of like where Peter says, um, 1 Peter 5, the famous passage, 6 through 11. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And listen up, listen to this. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. After you have suffered a little while. There's a time limit. There's a divine time limit. And his timing, his time limit is not our time limit, because our time limit would be the, uh, the sum total of zero minutes and zero seconds. <laughs> But unfortunately, unfortunately, he's more concerned with actually there being lasting change. In fact, Will and I were talking, I didn't plan on mentioning this, we were talking about this sort of thing, and we were talking about pickles, like the food. That's it. No, we were talking, about, <laughs> we were talking about pickles, just you know, the method by which a cucumber is going to be changed into a pickle, and I'm not a pickler. I've never pickled things, and so, I mean, if I get some of the details this wrong, you can come and rebuke me sharply afterwards, but I, you know, so, but what is, it's, it's, you know, you put the cucumber, right, into the solution, the vinegar solution. What happens if you put it in there for three minutes and pull it out? What do you have? you got a soggy cucumber. What happens if you leave it in there? It changes. It becomes something different. It is no longer a cucumber. It is now a pickle, and it has different purposes. You know, I don't want cucumbers on my Chick-fil-A sandwich. Amen. All right? <laughs> but you can load on the pickles. I ain't got no problem with that. So, and, and, but my point is this. It has to remain in there long enough to change. If we are pulled out of something too quickly, we'll say, thank God that's over, and then do the same thing all over again. We have to change. Let me... um finished by reading a short excerpt from this book. Some of you have heard me talk about this book before. Read this book. It's called The Giant Killer. It's written by Aloe. Aloe is an abbreviation for A Lady of England. It's from the Lamplighter Collection. Um, we were gifted this nice decorative edition, but I think there's actually a cheaper version too. Um, but, but make sure it's written by A-L-O-E, because I think there's another one. Listen, I'm sure there's tons of Christian books called The Giant Killer. But this book was written in 1856. It's a children's book, which means... I mean, listen, children in 1856 are smarter than we are, y'all. And so as you read through it, you're like, this sounds smarter than I feel. But, <laughs> so, but it's okay. So it kind of breaks even. Wonderful thing. It's, um, 
it's a, it's like a novel and inside of the novel is an allegory. So kind of some inception stuff going on there. So what it is, it talks about this, this family called the Roby family. And then the mother of the Roby family throughout the course of the narrative tells a corresponding allegory that figuratively represents what is happening through the book itself. I find the allegory part more exciting because it's about a knife going around killing giants. So, but this allegory is about this knight. I'm just setting the stage before I read the excerpt. About this knight named Fides, which I'm sure comes from the same Latin root as like fidelity and faithfulness and things like that. So this knight named Fides, he has this glittering invincible sword and he's going around killing giants. Um, and he's not just killing them to kill them. They're not good. He's not like, I just feel like killing some giants today. No, these giants are bad dudes. And so the giants, there's five giants that he kills. He, he fights. First, it's Sloth. He has to kill Sloth before 6 a.m. when he wakes up. So I'm serious. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a really great read. He has to fight against giant Sloth, giant selfishness, giant untruth, giant hate, and then the most terrible one of them all, giant pride. So he comes along. He's, it's near the end of the book, as you can see. He comes along, and he sees another knight seated by the way. And he props himself on the ground next to this knight, and he starts talking to him, encouraged and relieved to see another traveler. Because the road's hard sometimes. He starts talking to this knight, but there's a few peculiar things about him. Instead of a sword, he has this dark, twisted metal staff instead of a sword. This knight at first seems okay, but some of the stuff he starts saying begins to like, bring some concern to Fides. And more and more red flags come up, and this knight just starts getting really boastful. And so Fides, beginning to suspect that this is giant pride, hops up and writes in the sand the words, I repent and I am grateful. And he says, read these words. And pride, of course, cannot say them. He can't say, I repent. He can't say, I am grateful. And so at this point, pride's cover is blown. He assumes his full size, this giant, and then thus ensues this battle. Um, Fides is really hard-pressed. Uh, things are not looking good until an old man named Experience throws a stone from the bushes, distracts the giant, Fides kills him. And so this, I'm going to begin reading, um, immediately after the death of the knight. In fact, I don't know if you can see it. There is Fides over the dead body of the knight. And so there you go. I'm telling you, children's literature back in the day was different. <laughs> like, you're like, yep, there's just so many pictures of corpses in this book. But... <laughs> It's okay, though. They're giants. They're bad. But um, so then uh, now Fides and Experience are having a conversation immediately after this. And remember, what was the weapon that Pride had? It was this dark metal twisted staff. And oh, leave not that behind, noble knight, cried Experience, pointing to the dark crooked staff of the will. So we see this staff represents the will, our wills. This is important to understand. Uh, pointing to the dark, crooked staff of the will, which lay near the dead body of pride. Take it. It once belonged to thy king. It is precious when devoted to him. It is the noblest fruit of thy triumph to be able to lay at his feet. Fides obeyed, and with feeble steps followed his new guide, whose manner, though grave and almost stern, yet inspired him with confidence and respect. The dwelling of experience was on a hill and commanded a wide prospect around. Part of it was divided from the rest, where a glowing furnace, an anvil, and various tools hung around, sufficiently showed the occupation of its possessor. Experience is a blacksmith. Balm was poured into the bleeding wounds of Fides. 
Water from the spring of life was given to sustain his fainting strength. The mist before his eyes cleared away. He felt himself reviving again. Fides is recovering. Oh, experience, he said, as he laid his hand on the will. How can this instrument, once used by pride, be ever an acceptable offering to my king? Experience took from a small casket a vial labeled Submission, which contained a colorless fluid. He poured a few drops upon the dark, heavy metal, then rubbed the staff with a rough, hairy cloth, and wherever the liquid had touched, there was a spot of bright, glittering gold. This rough cloth is discipline, said the old man. With patience, through its rubbing, thou shalt see all the value of the will when restored to its rightful owner. Yet, I, uh, yet can I not offer to my king that which is crooked and bent. It bears two evident tokens of having been in the service of pride. And as Fide spake, he tried and tried again with all his might to straighten the massive staff, but the tough metal resisted all his efforts. He couldn't straighten out his own crooked will. He couldn't do it. No matter how much he tried, he could not straighten it out. The will is crooked indeed, but it may be straightened, said experience. We have other ways of working. My furnace of affliction is near. So saying, before Fides had time to reply, he plunged the staff into the red glowing fire. Give it back, exclaimed the knight with impatience. Anyway, anyway, but this. No way but this, said the old man firmly, keeping back the hand that would have snatched it from the fire. See how the gold is brightening. See how the metal is softening in the furnace. Submit the will to what is needful to make it perfect, a precious offering, acceptable and pure. So saying, experience drew it from the furnace of affliction and laid it on the anvil of trial. He struck it with his heavy iron hammer, but was interrupted by Fides. No more, thou wilt destroy it. No more, it is enough. Not yet, replied the old man, and struck it again. Stay thy hand, exclaimed Fides. It can bear no more. Yet a little patience, cried experience, and struck it again. Then the will was restored to Fides, straight, pure, beautified. Oh, how unlike that staff, which had been so deadly in the grasp of pride. Read the book, y'all. Like, that's just a taste. But that's what we're talking about. That gives us a little perspective. It gives us a little encouragement. Because when you're in the furnace of affliction, when you're on the anvil of trial, it is not arbitrary. It is painful, but it's not pointless. The will is being purified. It's being straightened. We are brought into submission to tie this into the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. right? This is what's happening. So as you go through this, because this might not be relevant to you now, it might, it might not, but it will be. Because it doesn't say if, it says when. What's coming to the surface? Because man, I mean, if we cooperate, I think things will be a lot easier. Not easy, but easier and probably pass a bit more quickly. If we cooperate and ask the right questions of, Lord, what are, you, what are you working out of me right now? Instead of our natural response, which if we're being honest, is to get angry with him and question his love. Get me out of this thing. If you love me, then why would you do blank? You're not doing this to so-and-so. Their life looks fantastic. Throw them in the furnace. <laughs> you know, like, but it's like, you know, but it's just, I mean, well, that's just the sort of thing happens. Whenever the Lord puts us in the furnace, we start looking around at other people in our life who, you know, from the distance, you're like, well, they're not going through this. And first off, you have no idea what they're going through. You have no idea what they're going through or what they have gone through or what they're about to go through. Dr. Bennett used to say we're either in a storm, coming out of a storm, or going into a storm. Right? <laughs> 
And so it's a, uh, but this is the right perspective. And, uh, and it will help. But we've got to be humble. So let me pray, and you guys can have your group. Father, um, Lord, we thank you, God, for the effects of trials that you let us pass through. We have to have a firmly rooted understanding of your love, otherwise we will come to wrong conclusions when we pass through them. And we also need to have a firmly rooted understanding of your activity in our life and your sovereignty. Lord, knowing that you're not going to let us be tempted beyond our ability, like your word says, that after a little while, you will strengthen, confirm, restore. That, and you know, after the day of adversity has passed, but Lord, you're making us stronger. You're enabling us to do more for your kingdom, Lord. And also you're just setting us free, Lord, because we don't realize that these things just bind us. They hold us back. It's just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Lord. I remember somebody pointed out to me that when they were thrown in the furnace, the only thing that burned up were the ropes that were used to tie them up when they were thrown in. And Lord, I remember when I heard that, that just so struck me because that's the same for us. When we're in the furnace, Lord, the only thing that's actually being burned off is the ropes. The smell of the fire can't even be perceived on our clothes. And Lord, you're in it with us. But Father, please help us to have the right perspective. Help us to be strong and help us to be humble. But Lord, we just submit to you. Um, Please purify the will. God, we love you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, I hope that that was encouraging and also just a little reorienting for you guys. I know that as I was going through the process of preparing it and sharing it, it certainly was for me. It gave a... um, gave me a filter through which to look at everything that was going on. And so I hope that it's done the same for you guys. And as always, I hope that you guys have a wonderful week. God bless you.